0: Our next speaker for today um, and will take us through to the lunch break is Mags Hanley. Please. Yes. Yes. Thanks, Mags. Nice everyone. We've got everyone going to the loo. In and out. Fabulous. Today I am going to be talking about is money the only thing that helps with retention and recruitment. And I actually want to, thank, I want to thank Jonathan because he did some definition for me that I don't have to do for you right now. Here are three terms that didn't exist in 2019. The great resignation, quiet quitting, hybrid versus remote working. We didn't talk about that in 2019. And actually, it had been a barrier. So an example comes from the last place that I worked at. And I was working in the marketing team. And a member of my team, so the team that I was working with, lived in Geelong. So for those of you who don't know Victoria, Geelong is the second largest city within Victoria, and it's roughly an hour to get from Geelong into the centre of Melbourne. But we were working in Chadston, and Chadston's another half an hour outside of the central business district. She was a mum, two kids. Her, Her husband was primary caregiver. She knew she wanted to spend time with her children when she came home. So she time shifted, but it meant she left home at 5.30 to get to work for 7am so she could leave at 3.30 to be home for 5. And that was really, really grinding on her. So she went to our boss and said, can I work from home one day a week? And he said no. And that was her push to move and leave the wrong. Now that was July, 2019. Nine months later, we were in lockdown. I'm in Melbourne, most lockdown city in the world. <laughs> we worked from home for two years so if we think about that, look at that difference, 2019 and here 2022. So we have all of these new conditions that are coming through. Now let's think about skills. In this time of lockdown, we found that we'd had a much, we had a big skill shortage, in particular for senior designers. There are large numbers of junior designers who are coming up through, through university or through boot camps. But the senior designers, the ones that people really want because they can get in and just do the work, major skill shortage. And what we've seen, and that comes from two reasons. One is that we don't have enough and we had no migration. Now migration is coming in now, so great, there are more, there's a bigger pool coming up. But the result of that skill shortage was salary inflation. Suddenly, we were looking at people from a senior who were going 120, 140, now 160, 180, and I've heard of seniors getting over 200. If you sit there and say, how can we compete against that? We can't. But the skill shortage is going down, and but there is a raised baseline that we haven't talked about. Do we have to sit there and go, okay, hey, what do, we, what do we need to be able to meet that expectation now of salaries within design? So, what does this mean when it comes to retention and recruitment? Retention, keeping people we have. Recruitment, keeping the pe- uh, finding people to actually meet our needs. And I want to do a shout out, and we've got two people from Acorn here today, but Kate Varen and Rosie McAllister, who I have been working with, with Women in UX, and we, uh, they've come up with some of these ideas that I'm presenting with you today. So there are four things Four ways for us to consider what we're going to do to actually think more about recruitment and retention than just salary and money. And they are, yes, we do have to have salary, but we have a package. There are good projects. Hybrid versus remote or our culture and capability aspects. And then career progression. So let me go through each of these in a bit more detail. So as I say, you just can't get away. You must have money and super, it just has to be there. But, and I know I read HBR for a reason. I grabbed my latest HBR and popped it into my bag as I was going, coming here today, thinking I'm gonna read it somewhere. And one of the first articles in it from this November-December issue, talks about value. One of the anecdotes, well, one of the pieces of information is that CFOs whose values match, the the values of the organisation matches them, the money they require is less than if they are working in an environment where the values don't match. So I want you to think about that and I think that really connects into the things that Jonathan has been saying which is, how do we visibly tell people what our values are? But we have a capability of putting a package together. And that package could include education, so formal education, holidays, And so for some organisation they will talk about unlimited. I've been in organisations where we've been able to buy holidays. The BBC was one where you could buy a couple more weeks and particularly when I was working with families, there was an ability to go from, I was lucky, five weeks a year to maybe seven, which didn't necessarily cover all the school holidays, but gave more coverage available. Training, so conferences, and then the flexibility flexibility of working part-time, the flexibility of time-shifting, the flexibility of outcomes, as opposed to presenteeism. So let's talk about packages. The next one is good projects. Now a good project is different from everyone. I once talked about an organisation, so I worked for DS for a small amount of time, about six months in Melbourne. Loved them and I loved the work that we were doing. And I was doing interesting work. We were doing some IoT work. Uh, in particular, I went through and worked out the needs for feed mills, so people who actually make feed for cattle and chickens and horses on what they needed to do to make sure that a farmer doesn't ring up on a Friday night going, I don't have enough feed in my silo to feed my chickens over the weekend. This is not necessarily a project lots of people would be interested in. (laughs) Now, I come from farming background. Um, My father's family in Ireland have dairy farms and all of my uncles decided after they they made their money in sewerage, went and, and bought hobby farms. So for me, going in and going and visiting a dairy farm or going and visiting a, a chicken farm was really interesting, but it may, not a pro, uh, may not be the sort of thing that lots of people want. So I want you to think then about what it is that defines a good project with the realisation that the majority of people we are going to be working with, or we're going to be hiring or retaining, want to be doing some sort of good work. And this could be, it's a platform. We're talking about mobile, is it IoT? Are we talking about desktop? Is there something about the platform that is interesting to them? Is it about ideas and innovation? Do they want to be doing innovative work or is it an industry? Is it healthcare? Is it finance? Is it social good? For many people that I have worked with or I'm going to say we're slightly older, some of the organisational aspects of I can make a difference to this organisation may also be a definition of a good project. We then have culture and working conditions. What does conversations look like? How are we talking to each other? What type of organisation is it? Are we talking hierarchical? Or are we talking something that is a lot more fluid and a network? I have people that I work with who have been the lone designer within an organisation. And one of their requirements to move is to actually have some hierarchy because they then have someone they can learn from. And being able to say we have a hierarchy, we are operationalized, we have those levels, may really be of value to people who are in their, mid, in their mid-career. We can talk about relationships. Do we have an organisation which culturally builds those relationships and that you can work well with others? Is it competitive? There will be some startups ups who will say, we're at each other all the time. Some, some people who go, I don't want that. Or there are some people who thrive in that. So being able to talk about that to be able to communicate it and understand what they need, understand what we need, and then come to those match. And lastly, and this is the essential now, this is the remote versus hybrid. We've all had that moment where we have seen Elon Musk put out on Twitter that all of his team have to be in 40 hours a week, and if you don't, you're leaving. And that's not just limited to a tech titan. This is not limited to someone who is actually important. I was talking over the last couple of days and, and feeling slightly ashamed of being a Gen Xer because some of the Gen X leadership that I have been working on, so men of my age group are continuing to perpetuate the boomer culture of presenteeism and I'm ashamed of that, because we should know better. So hybrid and remote now is, after three years of this, considered a baseline. So what are we offering that would help us retain people? Or what would we offering that will help people to actually recruit for them? And the last one's career development. Now, most of you know I'm a career coach. I also help design leaders to be more effective in their organisations. This is what I hear all the time. When I work with people who are talking about moving to a new role, they turn and say, the role that I have right now, I do not see a path moving forward. Or where my path is, is not one that they can support moving forward. I have people who say, I want to be in an organisation so I can get that mentoring. I have others which say, I am seen as a senior practitioner and for me to move into that leadership, I need to change from that practitioner into something that is leading more, whether it's leading people or whether it's leading projects, being able to influence the product more. Just to give you one of my definitions, I talk about two different roles at a lead level. A lead designer and a team leader. The majority of people who are moving into their leadership role will be given what I would call a team leader role. You are 80% on the tools, you are 20% managing two to three people. For a lead designer, we're talking about someone who is managing a work stream or managing the work within a product from an intellectual and creative perspective and directing people. So when I have a number of people that I work with, they find themselves in a team leader role and not able to make that shift into the influencing and persuading and shaping of products or projects that they're still doing their senior leadership, the senior practitioner work. So even understanding that context helps people understand what it comes to when it comes to career progression. So I want to give you some ideas of advice from the industry. So Cara De Freys is someone who's in my network, and Cara wrote a really fantastic Medium post. And I think if any of you are here and you are recruiting, or you are looking for another role, go and read Cara's presentation, Cara's article. And she says, if you're going to be thinking about a package, here are the things, now she's an American, so of course there'll be benefits in here, which may or may not be something that is applicable to you. The joy of living in in a country where socialised medicine is just a given is phenomenal. So, salary, benefits, vacation or sick time, conference allowance, training budget, and the big one, title. And for a lot of us when we sit there and say, well, yeah, the title really doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. And it matters for two reasons. It matters as a way to validate and be able to say, this is who we are. I am a lead. I am a principal. I am a manager. But it also gives you a connection from a label perspective into the rest of the, the industry. Now, majority of you will know, I come from an information architecture background. So labelling is important to us. <laughs> we are not good at labelling of job titles within organisations. And I was talking to Michelle just before this and we were talking about what her job title was and said she said, I have to go and explain it to every new client that I go into, which is this is what we do. So if we're thinking about title and say you give someone a senior design role name, but they're actually working at that lead, and the next step for them is talking about becoming a manager, going and having interviews, that is considered a big jump from moving from senior to manager. So really consider titles when you're doing this, both for you as managers, but also with your team if you're going out and they're they're moving in recruiting. There was an article in HBR 2021, which is how do we attract top tech talent? Three things. First one, commitment to diversity and inclusion. And we talk a lot about it And actually, if you ever wanna talk to someone who's got the best handle on this, it's Zoe, and Zoe's talking to us this afternoon. Uh, Not about diversity, but Zoe is the person to talk to. Go and grab her at lunch. Talking about commitment to diversity inclusion. So how are we including this? Jonathan also talked about that in the way that he was doing his recruitment and talking about that he now has recruited, recruited 75% of a more diverse workforce. The second one is transparent and accountable senior management. Wow. We have a case study happening right now in our world with Twitter. It's not transparent, it's not accountable. And that's at the most extreme level. But if we talk about, okay, what does that mean? Either for us as a senior group within design, or the layers above, how do they come up with the strategy? What is the decision-making process? What does this mean to us? I'll give you an example of a guy that I worked with at JB Hi-Fi and the context of where we, where we were and how he was justifying his examples, his, the decision that he made. So it's public knowledge when I was working at JB Hi-Fi, we were migrating from one content management system to Shopify Plus. It's, in, it's, you know, it's been annual reports, it's been to the markets, so we know that. The decision was made by the director of strategy the decision was not made by the director of IT. The IT team hated the decision of moving to Shopify Plus. With very good reasoning, which was Shopify Plus at the time was not a mature enough platform to be able to deal with the the quantity and the processes that a large, bricks and mortar plus e-commerce a retailer dealt with. And we dealt with it for a two year, it was a two year migration process, which anyone ever asks you and they say you are going to migrate something in six months, it is a two year project, no bullshit. So during the first year, I saw, I heard, the director of strategy tell the IT team his reasoning for why we moved to Shopify Plus. None of it connected in to the IT team's concerns about the suitability of the platform and whether technically it could do what we needed to do. He talked about it from the way that the marketplace and the organisations were, the way that platforms were being developed. So we talked about social platforms, Facebook, Meta. He talked about marketplace platforms, Amazon, eBay, Etsy. And then he talked about platforms for shopping, for e-commerce. And he said, "We wanted to go at Shopify because we wanted a platform." Didn't connect at all. It was transparent didn't make any difference because it took 14 months for that tech team to get on board. And lastly in here, we have a culture of coaching and development. And there's been a lot of conversations. So Sarah and Michelle both talked about coaching as a way to actually bring and move people people through, through the journey. So being able to provide a supportive environment with people, moving them forward and then being able to see where they can go. I also wanna bring this article up, which is called Job Sculpting. Now this is from 1999. I did go deep into the annals of HPR. No one ever talks about Job Sculpting. But if we're talking about retention, and we should be doing for recruitment as well, but we're talking about retention, then job sculpting is a really interesting concept, which is saying, how do we understand who these people are and what their focus is, what they're good at, to create the right job, the right project for them to work on. I'll go very briefly into these eight, but please go and read the article. So, they call them job interests. Application of technology. Actually, if you sit there and we go back into what people are looking for for good projects, application of technology comes in there. Two, quantitative analysis. The majority of us designers, this is not necessarily our strength. If you come from market research and then moving into design, that might be a really good strength that they're bringing in. But also, of course, this will be the analysts that we work with. As we move higher quantitative analysis when it comes to, in particular, ROI and business cases may also be something that's important to us. Theory development and conceptual thinking. This is one that a lot of us really like to do but we still, and our teams, a lot of our teams are sitting in the way of delivering to the crafting, which is the creative production. So where are we? Conceptual, creative production. And usually when we're talking about roles moving, there's usually moving from that production into that concept or um, theory production. And then the next two are connected to each other as well which is the counselling and mentoring and the people managing people and relationships. You don't have to be both. Some people, I'm one of those, this is, this is my wheelhouse. But there are a lot of people for whom interacting and working with people, the counselling and mentoring is where they want to be and they don't necessarily want the responsibility for managing the people. So you can choose which ones are these. And the combinations will then come up with different jobs. And lastly, enterprise control. So are you actually leading an organisation? A little bit of um, control issues here, this one. And then influence through language and uh, ideas. And that influencing could be selling. It could be stakeholder leadership, it could be taking people from one part of the journey to the next, whether it's within facilitation or whether it's actually being able to bring people through it through their own language. So I'd really like you to look at this and go, is this a nice framework for people if you're looking at managing your talent or where they are, which is different to our usual job roles of junior and midweight and senior. From Jonathan's, he had staff, lead, principal, managers. But I also want to show you some numbers. Here's the numbers. 2019, this is the money that they was at the HR in Australia, were talking about the cost of recruitment. Between 23,000 and 30, 34,000, recruiting one person. Time to hire, roughly 40 days. A Little bit longer for New Zealand. Contract, if you were seeing at the most you needed a contractor to cover someone for 40 days, it's $40,000. You're recruiting that $74,000. Wow, do we actually talk about those money? that money? Nah. If you were looking at it in a different way for retention costs, and you were talking about offering someone between 20 and 25,000 more, there's the difference. You've got 50 grand difference. So maybe a pay rise of 20 grand and an increased trading budget of five grand. Then we think about our morale. When we lose people, you find, then you find more people leaving because they're beginning to see that there are other people. So lost productivity skilling up, people leaving. Or when we're talking people, continuity of projects, Um, happy staff member, (sighs) upskilling, and then keeping the team together for longer. So is there a formula? I don't have an A plus B equals C for you, but here are the things that I'm talking about. For both retention and recruitment, you have to know what the market is paying. And if you're going to do something lower, then your value, the value of the people and the value of the organization need to connect. This is why people go and go to work for nonprofits at a lower rate because they believe in the value. Level up for retention, level up your pay roles and people look at the deeply at the culture so are they leaving because of deep seated problems are your senior leadership respected and transparent what motivates them to so talk about these things like the life interests definitely have a career development plan and have that conversation which is more than I want to move from midweight to senior, more than where do they want to go, what are their interests, how are they doing, and then seeing if you can do this job sculpting. And then cre- create career paths as a norm. For recruitment, yes, money has to be there. Be aware of what's being paid. But work out what you can do when it comes to benefits. How do you? If you were going into and you're hiring three new people, what could you do which you can understand their needs and how you could pull them together? Amp up training. Every time we're in this sort of an economic, training goes down and that means people don't feel as if they're being invested. Because training is considered discretionary. Don't bullshit on projects and culture. Please, just don't. People are good enough now to be able to say, number one, we will leave after two months as it is wrong. And the second one is they will go out to their network and find out if what you're telling them is actually correct at all. And lastly, hybrid's your minimum. Remote is ideal. Okay. So I didn't introduce myself. Hi, I'm Max. (laughs) I'm a career coach and leadership facilitator. And I didn't put my link up in here, but please just feel, it's Mags Hanley, you can come here. So thank you.